1: dark shameful secret but you're not the only one get your hidden financial fears with a blast the sun now your healing has begun it's bad with money with gabby dunn hello i'm gabby dunn and welcome to bad with money a show about finances and feelings where we don't talk down to you it's here it's finally here buckle up Because today we are talking about Dave Ramsey with Tori Dunlap. And if you don't know Tori Dunlap, she is the host of Financial Feminist, and she is the creator of Her First 100K and she is a notorious critic of Dave Ramsey. And if you don't know Dave Ramsey, congratulations. No, I'm serious. Okay. If you don't know Dave Ramsey, he is one of the biggest, I would almost claim him to be like like a financial televangelist. Um, He has a radio show, he has books, he's a gajillionaire based on all of this, and he's uh, insufferable. I don't enjoy torturing my friends, but I did think that it would be a really good idea to do an episode about Dave Ramsey with someone who has been critical of him publicly for a long time. And I've never read any of Dave Ramsey's books. I've seen clips uh, from his radio show, and I've seen actually full episodes of his um, radio show, which is a video podcast as well. And I've seen him uh, call people stupid. I've seen him be really harsh about someone whose partner was transitioning. I've seen him him say some really weird stuff about Jesus. Uh, There's been a lot of stuff about Dave Ramsey that has been incredibly sus and full of red flags. Has he helped a lot of people? Probably. It depends on the type of person, which we're going to get into. So, 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 so. I had Tori read Baby Steps Millionaire, which is Dave Ramsey's latest book. I also read it. I floored is floored the right word i was floored so let's just get into it with tori because guys at one point he talks about the jews i really wasn't ready okay well here's a lot of stuff about jesus and also how being poor is about your own fear i really don't know guys if you don't know anything about dave ramsey it's worse than you thought okay here's the episode My guest today is Tori Dunlap from Financial Feminist. And often she rails against this man. And so I thought, why not make her read his most recent book?
0: Um. Hello, Tori. Can you tell my audience who you are? Against is a very important word in that sentence. Rails against uh-huh. him. Yep. Against, against this man. Against. Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Tori. I am the founder of Her First Hundred K and the author and host of Financial Feminist, which is both a podcast and a book now. And I have a very public vendetta against um, the man we will speak about today. And I've actually never read one of his books. I just c- I couldn't bring myself to do it. And, um, so this was, uh, yeah, you really, you really popped my Dave Ramsey cherry here today. So thank you for that.
1: So why do you, why did you
0: start hating him <laughs> and what, and what do you hate about Dave Ramsey? Uh, okay. How much time do we have? Okay. So I want to first, first preface this entire conversation. He has helped a lot of people. And mm-hmm. I think that in a way, I don't know if my work, and I don't want to speak for you, but, like, I don't know if we could do the work that we do if it if he didn't exist. So that's one mm. thing. I hate everything else. For me, <laughs> half of it is the financial advice is either bad or it completely fails to acknowledge systemic oppression. That's one mm-hmm. camp. And then the other camp is how he runs his business. He has fired folks who have gotten pregnant out of wedlock. He is very mm-hmm. vocal about being anti-LGBTQ. The way he runs his business, like you have to bring your own budget and your own like personal finance reality to any job interview if you want to work in his company. And he's been very very public about that. So you have to, like, unveil how much money you do or don't have, um, which feels... Like, like a complete violation of privacy but also maybe vaguely illegal so yeah, yeah for me it feels like there's two different camps one the advice does not acknowledge systemic oppression and is often bad advice and then very bad advice the way he operates his company is something that I, ha- I like I'm just makes me so angry
1: it's cultish in a way Completely. the way that he runs things which we will get into because I broke this book down into five categories that I will <laughs> I will say for you uh, my notes are all color coded okay and I didn't know this about him, but I suspected, and then it really came full force. Is that he is deeply evangelical Christian? Deeply, deeply. Yeah. I thought it was kind of one of those things where all of these guys are pretty like Christian, mm-hmm. um, but I did not realize how Jesus forward this is. Yeah, like weaponizes this Christianity.
0: Is, and the other thing too is Financial Peace University is like his big program, and it is often taught. Yeah in churches. My lovely Ashley podcast host, host Kristen lives in Nashville. And so Mm -hmm. his headquarters is in Nashville. We've talked about this a lot. The Financial Peace University is taught Mm -hmm. by people like within church. And I joke that he is the diet pill of personal finance of like, he makes you he calls you fat and then gives you the diet pill for it. Like he, you know, and then in addition, he weaponizes Christianity in order to sell his products. The Christianity is the marketing tool.
1: I'll get into this a bit later, but his real estate holdings, a lot of it is in in terms of cultishness, there's a lot of stuff within his biological family or married into his family in an almost mafioso way (laughs) where his son-in-law runs the real estate corporation, but then doesn't put his name on some of the things where he sells Dave Ramsey's homes. And so it's kind of this capital realty group, which is under Dave Ramsey's uh,
2: umbrella. Purview, yeah. but he
1: uses to sell and he puts his son-in-law in charge of it and doesn't put his name on it, which is lightly illegal in some ways, definitely unethical. Yeah. And it all kind of works in the way that like the mob puts their houses in their wives' names, like that
0: kind you know, of thing. It's, that's a great perspective. He also, he has like what he calls like the Dave Ramsey personalities. So he has like all of these other people who are under the Ramsey umbrella, including his daughter. And mm-hmm. we've seen the downfall of a couple of these people One in particular who uh, was having, I think, various affairs with other women besides his wife and they tried to cover up said affairs and then it came out publicly and they were kind of forced to fire him then. So again, like all of the Christianity feels like it's like an asterisk where it's like, oh, Mm -hmm. we're Christian and we're going to use this and like the prosperity gospel and all those things, but also like student debt forgiveness is a handout and you shouldn't cheat on your wife, but only if you discover that we've employed somebody who we know is cheating on-
1: yeah. Or, you know, there's, I, I watched a couple of his call in shows. There was definitely one with someone calling in about their spouse transitioning where he was not respectful of the trans person's pronouns. Um, I'm there shocked was they even called where,
0: him. I'm shocked that the, I know. Wow.
1: No, no, no. It was, it was someone calling in to be like, I don't know what to do. My spouse is transitioning mm. and they're going to take all my money to be trans. It was like that. The second thing was someone called in and said, What do I do if I don't want to leave an inheritance to my kids because their politics are more liberal than mine and they're leftist. And he was like, don't leave them an inheritance. Fuck that. So like those are the two things that I've seen. Um, And so before that, I only knew his name from that kind of stuff. I lightly looked into it and then I knew that he was Christian and I knew that you hated him. (laughs) And... So I decided that we would read uh, his number one New York Times bestselling book, Baby Steps Millionaires, How Ordinary People Built Extraordinary Wealth and How You Can Too. And he's just, look at this man. He's just a dad. I call him, a um, regular I call guy. him
0: Walmart Santa.
1: That's what he is. Yeah. Regular guy. Walmart Santa. So the five categories that I broke this book into are, one, God and Jesus. <laughs> Two, excuses and identity politics. <laughs> This is great Three game. cult status, <laughs> okay. Where think where things that he says or are done have reached the status of being eligible to be a cult. Yep. Four straw man arguments, and five. Who is the audience for this book? <laughs> that was my thing too.
0: Is I was like, what am I learning? How is this helpful? You you did you did a you did some data, and half the book is the appendix of the the survey you ran. Which oh, we're gonna get oh. into it. So those, are,
1: so those are my five categories. Um, They are color-coded. So we open with uh, him talking about uh, following God's way, live and give like no one else. And then he talks about hope and possibility, which comes up a lot because the only way that his books can function is if people have this sort of thing that we've talked about a lot on the show, which is people – striving for and having the hope and possibility that they one day too could be millionaires and billionaires. And then when they reach that level, they won't advocate for more taxes. So they shouldn't advocate for them now, even though that would help them. So it kind of is uh, a very insidious use of hope and possibility. Yep. You mentioned Financial Peace University. A lot of the followers of this stuff become Ramsey Financial Coaches, which I thought was quite culty. MLME. Very MLM. My partner uh, once was targeted by an ADHD executive coaching group that said uh, a lot of our, they said, actually, a lot of our people that got coached, they went on to become coaches within our program. And they said that as a selling point. And I think (laughs) that that is a red flag. (laughs) So none of these people are actually financial experts. They just went through Dave Ramsey's particular program,
0: red flag they learned the curriculum and maybe vaguely how to teach it
1: it's almost like a virus spreading is how i picture it like you know what i mean the little is arms Dave are getting COVID? Bigger, and bigger we're not saying he is however if, the <laughs> if he's i would say he's a virus he's a virus <laughs> sure sure Okay, then I was shocked by how quickly we got to Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. By like sentence two, fast. dude.
0: Like sentence two.
1: I am a. I am simply a steward of the
0: blessings God has given me. Yep. Thoughts? Part of me is like, if you, if Christianity works for you, great, amazing, fine. Yeah. Like that's. I I am not going to judge you. I grew up Catholic. I went to 18 straight years of Catholic school. Like that was my reality for a very long time. Nothing will make you an atheist faster. <laughs> I don't know if I'm, I'm not an atheist. I actually don't identify, but like definitely am disillusioned with a re- religion in, in general. It's not that you are religious. It is not that you believe that, you know, everything you do is in service of God's plan. I have no beef with that. If you are a good person who is using Christianity as a, as a way to become a good person, I have no issue with that. Great. Again, the like use as a marketing tactic with the like prosperity gospel of if I did it, you can do it too. And it is God's plan for you to be wealthy and successful and all of these things that I have. Can you give with. a short definition of the prosperity gospel? Basically the idea that you are destined for wealth or success Because, again, like God has set this plan for you. You could probably actually give me a better definition than I can. But like literally chapter one, I just wrote in the margins, Dave Ramsey equals God's plan. That's what it feels like from jump.
1: What's insidious to me as well is the – and he does this later on – the twisting of Christianity to be about gaining wealth when – Action, and he goes way out of his way to explain how wealth is actually good, which we will get into. But it's the twisting of religion to not advocating for social services, not advocating for the poor, not doing. Look, I'm not I don't know Jesus, but I'm just saying like not doing things that Jesus would particularly do, but rather self-serving yep. and and making yourself wealthy. And we're going to get into this even heavier because uh, in terms of giving and tithing and charity, there is a really insidious undertone to all of that as well and all of it, it is also a
0: bootstraps narrative right the whole thing bootstraps. is if I can do it you can do it too and in addition if this didn't mm-hmm. work for you it's because you didn't sacrifice enough right the words gazelle-like intensity which what the fuck is that supposed to mean shows up so many times and this shows up in his podcast and in his work too right he says gazelle-like intensity I'm like this is my other this is like the big beef with his advice in my perspective is like diets don't work we know they don't work because If the more you tell me I can't have fried chicken, the more I want fried chicken. And that's not a willpower Mm -hmm. thing. That is a human psychology, human brain thing. Mm -hmm. It also, again, completely fails to acknowledge any systemic issues that may be at play regardless of how hard you're working again what is gazelle-like intensity I don't know he doesn't really tell us he just says sacrifice right. and scrimp and basically hate your life in order to get out of debt
1: What you're referencing is this quote there is no situation too unique or too difficult for the baby steps they work every time yep I also put this under cult because the buzzwords are God's ways heroes he calls people who have gone through his program oh heroes. but he's not a hero Gazelle- did you
0: read that part? he goes I'm not a hero <laughs> I'm not I'm not a hero. But everybody else, everybody else is heroes. I'm not a hero though, but I'm going to write this entire book and then I'm going to brag about how I'm a New York Times bestseller, which sure, brag about it. When I do it, I will brag about it. But like, oh boy, <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm not a hero. Everybody else is a hero, but I'm not a hero.
1: I'm like, well, yeah. Or like, okay, the other one is debt-free screams where he has people <laughs> scream once they've reached being debt-free. All of this in my mind, I just kept going, this is the vow, this is Nexium. this yeah. is the vow. Yeah. And the problem here is that with cult status as my uh, marker here, it's the only listen to me element of this, right? So there's a quote where he says, someone might say, I don't come from the right family or neighborhood. It's also family, friends, neighbors, admissions counselors, business and government leaders, talking heads in the media. Anyone who tells you the only way to become wealthy is to inherit it, be a person of privilege or graduate from a prestigious school. It's today's toxic money culture telling you all this crap. Only
0: listen to me. I'm the only one who knows. Again, it's like a diet, right? It's like, we're going to sell you this thing. And if you don't lose weight, you just didn't work hard enough. You didn't starve yourself enough. You didn't run 10 miles every day. It's your fault. You must
1: have had someone in your ear telling you that that privilege is how people get rich. That must have been
0: the problem. Crazy. From the get-go too, I want to read this. So this is chapter one. This is literally like Page one. So he gives all of these like stories about people who have done it, which I think in a way is probably one of the most redeeming parts of the book. Of like, I'm giving you like stories from people because we know stories connect with people. But also, like, who are these people? I don't know who these people are. You don't tell me how much they make. You don't tell me what again systemic issues they're they're up against because they don't they don't matter you to Dave do, Ramsey. But. They don't matter. You do, but in a very sneaky
1: and insidious way. Yep. So
0: he, so he's talking about Tiffany. Tiffany is this person who he mentioned. This is how it starts. She was, she's recently divorced. She's figuring out how to be a single mom. She's twenty seven. Oh, he does say she's working a, th- she's working a job that pays thirty thousand dollars a year. Staggering amount of debt. Okay. Quote, Tiffany had always believed God had a purpose and a plan for her. But because her life was so chaotic, she couldn't figure out what that plan was or how to get it together. So she started researching ways to get out of debt and build wealth and found the Ramsey Baby Steps. At first, Tiffany tried to do the plan Baby Steps-ish, doing some of it the way it's taught by us at Ramsey and some of it the way she preferred. But she soon realized that to make progress as fast as she could, she needed to go all in. She couldn't count on child support and she didn't have anything of value to sell to speed up the process. But she worked extra hours, made tons of sacrifices. That tells me nothing, by the way. And finally, saved up enough for her emergency fund. Slowly but surely, she called clawed her way out of sixty thousand dollars of debt. And then okay. at the end, she's a hero. And now she's oh, she's okay. a financial coach. She's a Dave Ramsey financial. Coach. And now she works for Ramsey Solutions. Exactly, Dave Ramsey financial. Coach. Exactly. So what I wrote in the margins is, I'm like, you can't a la carte it because to your point, it didn't work. If the it, if you
1: if one thing if one right. thing sticks out to you as wrong or if one thing sits wrong in your gut about this, then you're not
0: doing yep. it. It's you. And you're not doing it all in. It's you. And you're not doing Which it right, is, and it's you. to your point, full cult, right? Of like, oh, oh, if you haven't given yourself over fully, that's why, yeah, the same thing with Nexium, right? If it's like, oh, you're not seeing the strides in your life, it's because you didn't show up to this extra training or you didn't join like the women's group. Yeah. And then the next yep. story is the one that really got me because it's just victim blame the entire time. So it's, he's talking about a couple, John and Maddie. Maddie's Mm -hmm. prior marriage, quote, Maddie's prior marriage had been abusive and controlling. When she was angry, stressed in an argument with John, she was self-medicate by going on spending sprees. And then he basically shames her for this, as opposed to like, let's address the root of the issue, which is that she is... Completely normally trying to fill a void in her life that came from trauma and abuse by Mm -hmm. spending money. And Mm -hmm. so then it was like, oh, this person invited Maddie to a total money makeover live event, and Dave Ramsey is the reason, right? Sitting in her seat that day, she came to a hard but powerful realization. Money wasn't the problem. It is okay. The problem for Maddie was the person in the mirror. No, it was her abuser. It's not the person in the mirror, it's her abuser. There's a lot. I wrote this too that there's a lot in here.
1: About heterosexual marriage Um, Yes because he doesn't Believe in anything but Well a lot of it Ties the money to marriage And the marriage to happiness So Mm, marriages are more Likely to last If you're in Ramsey Solutions You avoid bankruptcy And divorce Like all of that Is sort of tied together This is the the reason That your marriage Isn't working The reason that you know, you you are div- getting divorced is all of this stuff that is sort of like tied to being a- unhealthy with money and promises, making promises like if you come to me, your relationship will be happy. Not only will you not be out of debt, you won't get
0: divorced. It's the And template. Lord knows. Yeah, it's the template that he divorced to is time. the worst thing. Right, the, worst, the worst possible thing. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's um, said that like this is what you should want. So
1: here is where we get into the straw man arguments and this comes up a lot and this is what I figured out. He will present an argument that either no one is making or that he has has couched things together and equated things together that don't go together in order to hide the one that is wrong. So he says, what exactly is a millionaire? It's not a political statement, it's not a theological discussion, it's not your feelings or emotions, it's not the amount of money you make, and it's not your mother's opinion. So what he does here and what he does a lot in this book is he puts things together and hides the real thing he's trying to say, right? He wants to just say it's not a political statement, but he couches it in all these other things that are sort of true. Like, oh yeah, I guess it, it it isn't really about feelings or emotions. And yeah, my mom's opinion on what a millionaire is, that is true. But it's all just to get political in there and hide it. Sure. Like there's another one that comes up that's like, you may think all rich people are evil or they're all virtuous. In either case, you'd be wrong. And so he's saying like, instead of the nuance of, you know, I think that, rich people maybe could pay more taxes or maybe, you know, right. there are some some areas in which um, there is a lot of wealth inequality. He gives you the argument you think they're all evil, you think they're all virtuous, and and you're wrong. It's black
0: and white. He hides no, things
1: in things. Yeah, There's no gray yeah. area
0: and there's no nuance because both of those statements I actually agree with, and this is one of the only times I actually circled and I was like, I agree, is mm-hmm. when he's talking about what a millionaire is and versus what a millionaire isn't, he said a million dollars isn't what it used to be. That's what he says. Some, fo- some people say, and then other people are like a million dollars is not enough. And I see this in my TikTok mm. comments every single day if somebody's like, you know, I talk about investing and using compound interest to grow your wealth and people are like, oh, but like $5 million is gonna be nothing. And then other people were like, $5 million is a crazy amount of money. Mm-hmm. And so you do have a lot of that. And I always joke that like, I want to build wealth not because I want a stack of government issued paper, right? That doesn't get me anything. I want what money can buy or what money can do in the world. So I think both of the statements that you read ring true to me where I think a lot of people do think okay rich people are either super virtuous or very evil Mm -hmm. it's wrong it isn't either of those things but he isn't allowing the nuance of that statement to be like okay let's break down why do we think rich people are virtuous or why do we think rich people are evil well maybe it's because rich people are fucking the environment over or you know like <laughs> preventing us from having a universal health like you know let's talk about that yeah. and we think they're virtuous uh, because we have all of these you know tech bros who like uh, it's uh, orgasm when Elon Musk sneezes right so like yeah there's no nuance to any of these things it's black it's white it's very like it's either this or that and he doesn't Mm -hmm. allow for conversations because this is not defending him but because it's very hard to talk about money and I've heard you Mm -hmm. discuss this where it's like I want to give actionable resources around money but also everything has an asterisk which is like this doesn't work if you're poor this doesn't Mm -hmm. work if you're in poverty that's a very Mm -hmm. complicated thing to say especially when you're branding Mm -hmm. yourself as the God-given expert right I struggle with this all of the time 80% of personal finance, even maybe 90% is circumstantial. I'm just trying to guide people in the 10 to 20% of what they can control and then mm-hmm. using that money to go out and change everything else. But mm-hmm. that's way more complicated and way more nuanced and takes my ego out of it in a way that Dave Ramsey refuses to do.
1: Yes, absolutely. I mean, he he argues a lot against things that aren't really being said. Sure. And I wrote that he hides accurate criticisms with outlandish ones. <laughs> So he puts he puts whining, he talks about whining and it's this thing of like, if you have complaints, you're just jealous. If you criticize me, you're just, you know, you're not giving yourself the benefit of hope and possibility. And so he kind of, he like will say you know there's false equivalency between these two things uh, and this is an example of one the number of broke people writing money blogs while living in their parents basement boggles the mind you can choose what you want to do and I wrote there's a false equivalency here between living with your parents and not knowing money between liberal politics and poverty and choice yep. and that's a kind of like through line that happens he's almost giving the if, if you already are, te- are have a tendency towards the way Dave Ramsey thinks and you pick up his his book, he's giving you like, this is what the other side is saying, whether that's accurate or it not. It feels very Fox and newsy. And then you can go, yeah. Fox news. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And then you can go, oh, that is what they're thinking. Well, they're stupid. And you're right. Providing the nuance
0: does not sell books. It doesn't. No. There's a reason this man has like a, an empire that I don't have. I So when I was writing my book, the introduction took a year and a half to write because I was yeah. like, I don't know how to... Like, again, asterisk everything I'm about to say in the next 80,000 words with this doesn't matter if you're poor. Like, I, none of yeah. what I'm about to say matters if you're poor. I'm like, how do I communicate yeah. that Well, also knowing that what I have to say is valuable or else I wouldn't say it? But yeah. all of that nuance is lost here because, again, this man does not acknowledge systemic issues, does not acknowledge anything else other than hard work. No privilege yeah. acknowledgement, no If you are any sort of minority, this is going to be more difficult for you. Have you been using Mint to manage your finances? First, the bad
2: news Mint is shutting down. Now, good news there's a better alternative Monarch Money. Mint users are turning to Monarch Money and loving it. That's right, I use Mint and now I'm using Monarch Money. It is very stressful, confusing, and time consuming to manage my finances. I've tried other finance apps. They don't really work. Like, you know, I was very committed to Mint and then I was uh, deeply sad when Mint went away. But now I have tried Monarch. It's so easy to use with powerful features, collaboration tools, intuitive design, personalization, constant product improvements. I mean, I really value a company that is proactively looking at how to make finances easier. Did you know that money issues are a leading cause of divorce? Monarch, the top rated personal finance app, also has built-in collaboration features so that you can invite your partner at no extra cost. Can you imagine being able to have a budget app with your partner? That is wild. You can see all your finances, you can collaborate on your budget, you can get insights on your cash flow and reoccurring transactions. It's a very easy way to manage a household's finances. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com badmoney. Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has a tool that allows you to easily import your data from Mint and keep all your tags in categories. Monarch is the most customizable budget app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications and more. We will never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash badmoney. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y slash bad money for your extended 30-day free trial. Your business was humming, but now you're falling behind. Teams buried in manual work. Taking forever to close the books. Getting one source of truth is like pulling teeth. If this is you, you should know these numbers. 37,025,1. 37,000. That's the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, streamlining accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. If you have all the information about your business in one place, you can make way better decisions. And this is an unprecedented offer, meaning this is totally worth your time. As someone who runs a business, having all of this together in order to close my books, that would be invaluable. It's a time saver. It's literally the biggest time saver. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. That's netsuite.com slash badwithmoney to get your own KPI checklist. netsuite.com slash badwithmoney. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like managing finances with a partner without causing a breakup. We all know about that in my life and how hard that's been for me and also my listeners. You guys hear them talking about it on the mailbags. It is hard to manage finances with a partner. Putting away money for retirement, since I'm not going to be doing this podcast forever. Sorry, I guess I could, but retirement is huge for me. I am deeply focused on it right now and planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year. Taxes are a doozy, and it's always changing. How do you know what to do? Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you.
0: Does not Mm -hmm. acknowledge that we need policy change in addition to habit change. Doesn't acknowledge? Yes. Well, we'll get into that.
1: (laughs) So the first three steps are... 1K starter emergency fund, oh, which turns a crisis let's into an inconvenience. Okay. Step two, scorched earth, no room for fun budget to pay off all your debt. Because like intensity. Baby step, baby step three, save three to six months of expenses in an emergency fund. Now, I wrote cult count because here's what he's – number one, he says, family and friends will make fun of you and think you're crazy, which – The common theme here is other money media and other people are inferior for not getting it. Hey, cut off everyone in your life that doesn't also agree with this. Two, extreme sacrifice. Almost monk-like sacrifice to achieve nirvana, which only Dave Ramsey can provide. Cult. Three, He just starts quoting Hebrews 12 yes, and then talks about a harvest of righteousness. So we've just tipped straight over into Jim Jones territory, everyone. If
0: I took a shot for every Bible quote in this book, I would be dead. I want to put my financial educator hat on and break down this advice, like regardless (laughs) of like how he presents it, which is wrong. Let's talk about how bad this advice is. Number one, baby stump number one is a thousand dollar emergency fund. I want to be clear. $1,000 in an emergency fund is way better than having nothing in an emergency fund. However, Mm -hmm. the average (laughs) one-month rent in a major U.S. city is not $1,000. It's something like $1,300, $1,400, $1,600. So if this is an actual emergency where you lose your job, yet alone pay for daycare or insurance or groceries – or your car, or your student loans, that that $1,000 is not even going to cover your rent. Bad advice. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Baby step three, which is three to six months of living expenses, should be baby step one. For me, mm-hmm. what I call the financial game plan, that's my baby step equivalent, that is number one, is a, at least a three-month mm-hmm. Living expenses emergency fund. The second thing is that he says pay off all debt except the house. If you have any money above your $1,000 emergency fund that is not in a retirement plan, cash it out and use it on baby step two. This is such bad advice. I literally have this circled. Bad advice. And then again, bad exclamation point advice. (laughs) If you have debt... That is under like seven to eight percent interest, like most student loans. It is way more advantageous for you to actually invest that money instead because you're making more money in the stock market than it's costing you by being in debt. Credit cards, sure, pay them off because 25 percent interest, 18 percent interest, that's way more expensive. But the stock market right now is averaging seven to eight percent. So if you have a mortgage or a car loan or student loan, that's something like three to four percent, that is costing you less money and you could be making more money elsewhere in addition this whole again scorched earth quote scorched earth no room for fun budget gazelle like intensity doesn't work we know it doesn't work and it's only going to make you miserable and i can't tell you the amount of people who have come to me and said i did the baby steps thing it worked for a while but i have all of this financial trauma and i don't feel like i can spend money on anything because i feel guilty and that is the direct result of shit like this, yeah,
1: yeah, you you absolutely bounce back immediately into your into your
0: old habits, um, right. or you shame yourself for spending they, money at all because you've been told by him any sort of seemingly small luxury, like a five dollar coffee, is the yeah. reason again that you're not rich.
1: Also, also pay off everything but your house. These people have houses? Yeah. These people have houses? (laughs) That's a great point. So there's also a lot of subtle things in the book that I, this is our first, who is this book for? Where he talks about uh, an athlete who has an unable to pronounce African name. I just put, is this racist? Question mark. Yeah, it's a subtle example of the book being for white people, right? Yeah. Cuz he's like, obviously, we, none of us can pronounce these African American athletes'
0: names or well, these African quote, athletes' names. On the other names. hand, you don't need to be, be able to pronounce his name to know. And I'm like, yeah, I literally put is this racist question mark? This feels Yeah, it is. Um
1: So then we get into baby step six, which is pay off the house. And this is the false idea of the modest millionaire. And Dave Ramsey has a net worth of 200 million. This is where I got into this conspiracy. It's not even a conspiracy, where I dug into Capital Realty Group, which is his son-in-law Winston, the principal broker for that group and there's one other broker that works there and that broker lists dave ramsey's homes under his name and the website says there's like 125 million dollars of homes under the management of capital realty group and then winston openly works for dave in the property management real estate division so there's all kinds of stuff. If you go to, I'll put the link below. If you go, there's a, a thread on uh, Reddit r Dave Ramsey that goes into this.
0: I think he literally like brokers real estate deals, and so it's like, yeah. of course, go to my my son. And in addition, right, all of the narrative is around buying property. There's mm-hmm. no like renting is all right for some people, maybe. There's no conversation mm-hmm. about that. And to your point earlier of like, we're just assuming people have houses. We're just assuming people have houses. That's just the, the yes. default assumption. Yes.
1: there. I'm going to put more links in the description. It's basically about how he sells homes in Nashville. Um, a lot of these people that I've started reading these books, and like a lot of these people really comes down to real estate and to real estate investment trusts, which basically buy up and gentrify entire cities under the sort of purview of of one very wealthy person. It's also this, this interesting thing of... The modest millionaire, everyone sort of being hit. He goes out of his way, and we'll get to this later, to say that millionaires are average people. But then if you look at a picture of this goddamn house in Nashville, it is, it's so big. It's huge. I'm on mansionglobal.com, <laughs> which I have never visited in my life. I didn't know that was a website. <laughs> Neither did I. Uh, $15.45 million Nashville home. Yeah, I tried to sell it last year. Uh, it's massive. And I guess he was also trying to sell
0: other homes for me. I don't love capitalism. You have talked about this so many times. You and I don't, I don't love capitalism, but for me, this is the system that currently exists and you have to pay your rent and you have to do it. So it's like, I want to navigate the system to the best of my ability. I can't Mm -hmm. win capitalism because I don't want to win capitalism. That means exploiting (laughs) people. But if I lose capitalism, that means deep suffering for myself and for my community Mm -hmm. and for my, my family. So it's like, for me, how do I navigate the system to the best of my ability? do what I can, and then when I have money, when I'm stable... Fuck the system up from within. Right. I would love to live in a really nice house someday. That is a goal for myself. However. Sure. But if he has I've, no
1: interest. He has no interest in helping people.
0: Is if the other I've thing. exploited. Right. If I've exploited somebody to get there, I have, I have done that wrong. I have done that incorrectly for me. Morally incorrect. And
1: it's also this thing where he encourages other people to live modestly. And then true. he's like, I yeah. need this massive house, which I understand. But like what you're talking about, Tori, is like. I become stable and then I use the money in these ways that helps other people. And what has happened here, and whether or not this was his intention from the jump, is that now I have this massive house. I've reached this level. I get to continue selling my classes to these other people and I don't have to really care what happens to them. It's worse in these other ways, which I don't want to be the people who are like, he has a big house, because yeah. whatever, Because I, I, I don't but want like, people
0: in five years to be like, she has a big house too, because I want a big house someday. I have less issue with his big house and more with how he got the big house, right? Like, yeah. that's my issue. Well, so... Baby
1: Step 7 is build wealth and be generous. And this is this story about leaving a note on a car. And this is also under a huge straw man argument. Basically, he uh, tells people to drive a beater car until they have uh, gotten out of debt. And uh, someone had a sticker that said, Dave Ramsey makes me drive this. Very cultish. These other people see that. And they spontaneously leave cash and a keep going note on the car in order to be like, hey, we did it and we succeeded. And like, we want to help you, whatever, right? But advocating for equality is, is portrayed as some kind of pipe dream. And I think the subtext here that I came to realize and that I've come to realize from a lot of these books is it's not about helping all people. It's about helping people like you. It's about helping people that you agree with. They don't want to pay taxes because, and I said this in Rich Dad, Poor Dad, God forbid the taxes go to an atheist. God forbid the taxes go to someone who is black who you don't agree with. Yeah. (laughs) Queer people. Maybe a gay person might succeed, you know, because of of a social service. somebody God maybe forbid
0: is what they would deem lazy. I think the other thing too right. is it's not just helping people like themselves, but helping people because it makes them feel better. Yes. That is the other thing too. And we all help people to make ourselves feel better. That is like a natural conclusion. Again, that's how our brains work. It's like we get dopamine. Yeah. And we get excited when we help somebody. But the default thing is, oh, I'm helping people because it makes me feel good when I help them. Not like, how do I actually it's, help?
1: Them? It's about control. Yes. And it's about uh, punishment. Yes, it's about punishing the people who don't follow mm-hmm. Dave Ramsey yep. and withholding from the people who don't follow Dave Ramsey. And it's about control. Exactly. Because right, if you me. pay taxes, you don't control who gets the money. So he doesn't want taxes, and he doesn't want equality or government he wants support or just success a, yep. for people like him who follow him.
0: He, again, has told you that if you work hard, everything will work out for you. And so he's mm-hmm. he's wanting to benefit the people who have quote unquote worked hard because the people who haven't quote unquote worked hard shouldn't, shouldn't be privy to that money.
1: Yeah, we're not even into my big problems. So <laughs> chapter four, he talks about a millionaire is not a billionaire. And he presents another straw man argument that there is a mistaken idea of what all rich people look like and that we need to normalize the concept of being a millionaire and show that being a billionaire is hugely different. In some aspects of this, I feel as though this is put in the book in order to take the onus and consequences off millionaires. Millionaires are just nice, average people. He talks about how millionaires probably live just down the block from you in a normal residential neighborhood. They probably cut their own grass. They read prices on menus. They use coupons. They use shopping lists. They paid for their home and maybe a beach condo. For those of us who didn't grow up wealthy, we tend to emotionally put billionaire and millionaire close together on the spectrum, which makes wealth feel unattainable. And I wrote He's really trying to avoid the guillotine here because almost no one does this anymore. People have a very clear idea of the difference between millionaire and billionaire. It is far, but it doesn't mean that you don't... You you don't have any reproach. He's like, look at those billionaires over there.
0: Don't look at me. Oh, And he cites billionaires multiple times and not in a (laughs) negative way. Like my other big thing with this book is he tries to play the everyman so often. That's the thing. Yes. And so about the, like the house thing that you brought up earlier, that's where I get pissed off is this, if you want to grow wealth and if you have more wealth than other people, like I, I know I have more wealth than the average person my age, but I'm not out here being like, yeah, cause I'm so normal. I'm just like you. Like, I Mm -hmm. know that I'm slightly, I'm in a different socioeconomic class now. And Mm it's, again, not acknowledging privilege at all. And then tries to play the everyman in order. It's like the Rachel Hollis thing of like, I'm, of course I'm different because I have a, you know, a house cleaner. Somebody cleans my toilets. I want to be different. Like, it's just, don't play the everyman in order to get people to like you.
1: I mean, we're going to get into that a little bit because I think I think I get there at a certain point which we talk about his his depiction of himself as a hillbilly. Don't worry, I have a lot to say about that. Um Okay, so he says, It might surprise you to know that 70% of the Forbes 400 are self-made, meaning their wealth was not inherited. Even Bezos grew Amazon into the e-commerce giant it is today from the humble beginnings of his garage in Seattle. This is simply not true. And if it is true, it, and if and if he does think it's true, it's very, very willfully ignorant. He says that, so I, as you alluded to, at the end of this book, there is a a Ramsey millionaire survey that is makes up a large chunk of this book. And it's, I would say, wildly useless survey that he did <laughs> totally. of people who who became millionaires through the Ramsey method. And he says that 93% of those Ramsey millionaires also describe themselves as self-made. And I said, okay, so they didn't get wealth through inheritance, but did they have an inheritance? Not that they didn't get wealthy through it, but the, the nuanced uh, words of did they actually have an inheritance, whether or not that contributed to their wealth. Also, what qualifies as inherited? Land. Did they get a home? Money. Did they gain access in some way from their parent having a job that they could then get that job? What are we qualifying as an inheritance? It's never said. My beef with Um, the word
0: self-made is either everybody is self-made or nobody is self-made. Like everybody is self-made or nobody is self-made because everybody has some sort of help. From somebody, mm-hmm. right? Whether that's financial mm-hmm. help, whether that's emotional help, whether that's, hey, I know a guy who you should talk to. Everybody has some sort of help or assistance beyond you. So either everybody yes. is self-made or nobody is self-made.
1: Um, He also gives you this sort of thing where he like briefly says racism is real, sexism is real. I don't even want to give him a cookie because this is like bare minimum shit, but I'm shocked this came out of his mouth. It is shocking. But then here's the next thing. They're not all middle-aged white guys coming from privileged homes. That premise is a lie because it steals hope and spreads hopelessness. It is evil. So now we're back to the thing where uh, any sort of questioning of the backgrounds of people with wealth uh, is actually evil, Tori. Right. It's not just bad. It's it's evil. He also talks about any money they may have received from their families was not enough to establish a million-dollar net worth. Bing, bing, bing. What did I say about inheritance? Uh, the thing about this survey is that if you are self-reporting your answers, we've met rich people. How often do rich people go, well, I didn't have a lot of help from my family. Or I, I didn't, it wasn't luck. I worked really hard. Yep. What fucking rich person do you know that is going to self-report that they, that they uh, just, you're like, yeah, I did jack shit and here I am. They
0: don't. So in research from my book, when, You were when two individuals were in a heteronormative relationship, and the woman made more than the man. When the census data was collected, the man would lie and say he made more. And the woman hmm. would lie and said she made less. Yes, exactly. That's just like a quote-unquote average normal person who already yeah, has the self-reported data. Complete bullshit. And also their own like issues with money and gender norms and like what's expected of them, right? Like women play small, men play big. If that's yeah. like one piece of data, like as small as like they're lying on the census, then this, the, what is what is this appendix good for? Knowing oh, that we're going to get into the Toyotas? appendix. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>
1: We also talk about the U of the book, where he mentions people have four-year degrees. He also mentions 40% of, of millionaires were involved in cheerleading or sports as their most common extracurricular activity, which tells us, to me, that they are able-bodied and popular. But there's no reference to that. Cool. You also went to a school
0: where those were things that were offered. <laughs> able-bodied Incredible. And popular. Put it on a Incredible. shirt. Incredible. <laughs>
1: Yeah, the worst person in the world the wearing that shirt
0: sticker that says able-bodied.
1: <laughs> so stupid! It's like a Real Housewives tagline. She's like, "I'm Lorraine from Texas, and I'm able-bodied, able-bodied and, and popular. popular." Deal with us. So stupid. Okay, chapter five. We get into Jackie. Jackie is black. We did it. Uh, (laughs) Racism is dead. It's over. Racism found dead in a ditch. Uh, (laughs) Jackie is black. She is poor. She has six kids in her family. She had a single parent home with a dad and the dad has a sixth grade education. Her dad was a proud man who didn't receive food stamps, welfare, or any other form of public assistance for his family, except for having his kids take part in the school's free lunch program, aka he's a terrible father, Uh, because he didn't uh, get anything for the kids that they needed. There's also this thing which I dubbed in my notes notes exceptional strong blackness. I I didn't make that up, I don't think, but maybe I did. But it's basically this thing of like, the deck was stacked against her. You know, she read a study that said that a black single mom is one of the most likely demographics to be in poverty. And Jackie was determined to make sure she and her daughter didn't become that statistic and that they would leave poverty in the rear view. Obviously cannot judge Jackie, but I just want to point out when you don't become that statistic, someone else is. And when you leave poverty in your rear view, Who's behind you? Say again. It's token minority. This whole thing is token minority. Absolutely. This whole thing. Oh, there's so much. There's more. You wanted token minority? Tori, there's more where that comes from. Oh, yeah. So Jackie becomes a millionaire by age 49. He does acknowledge that there is systemic racism, but he kind of says that has nothing to do with anything other than individual willingness. I'm giving him um, a oatmeal
0: raisin cookie. I'm giving him the worst for what? uh, Just oh, because he said racism exists. I don't want to give him a cookie, but I feel like this for him is like a big step. So, but I'm not giving you a chocolate (laughs) chip cookie. I'm giving you a fucking oatmeal raisin cookie. Taste the goddamn oatmeal.
1: Then, in the first of some insane cameos. We have Condoleezza Rice, Rice, baby. So Condoleezza's parents didn't allow her to focus on the violence and barriers of race, gender, economics, and education. They taught her there are no victims, even in an unfair climate. It's not your situation. It's your response to your situation. The minute you think of yourself as a victim, you've given control of your life to somebody else. And you might not be able to control your circumstances, but you can control your response to your circumstances so you don't ever think of yourself as a victim. Now I wrote, what if... Someone in Condoleezza's same circumstances, what if their response is not to grow up and become a Republican, but to grow up and become a socialist? What if taking control of your circumstances, Tory, was not shoving everyone away and rising to the cream of the crop and being the only black person in the Bush administration? What if it was to then go, you know what, I went through a lot of hard stuff. I should
0: probably help other people. Yeah. What about that? Again, what he's saying on paper is correct, which is you can't always control your circumstances but you can't you, the only thing you can control is your reaction to those circumstances. However, there needs to be the second sentence that is sometimes your circumstances suck. they're not your faults, right? So how again do we yes work to uh, mm-hmm. rise above potentially our circumstances or how do we work hard and how do we make the best of it? And then how do we change the circumstances for others? Mm-hmm. There is nothing mm-hmm. there about that. It is -hmm. is just bootstraps. And then it's shame to acknowledge that anything might not be related to bootstraps. Also, fun fact, she is the only, uh, to my knowledge, the only woman member at Augusta National Golf Course. She plays golf. Jackie is? No. Oh, Condoleezza Rice. (laughs)
1: Condoleezza
0: Rice. Condoleezza Rice.
2: And if you love the fillet of fish, right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba.
0: No, they like have let in like yeah, wow. she is either the only woman or the only black woman. there's like five... How are they
1: looking on Jews over there? (laughs) Oh, don't worry. We'll get to the Jews. Okay, there's this other straw man argument that he does where something that is true is compiled in a group with things that aren't. So, for instance, he says, here are some excuses. I can't do this. The deck is stacked against me. I have nothing, not even my parents. I can't afford rent, let alone college. It's too much. There's no reason to even try. The one that is true and unrelated to the others is the deck is stacked against me. So... What happens here is that you see them as a group, and this is a great argument. And if he was in a debate club, this is a great tactic. Yeah. And most people won't notice it. Grouping things most together. Most people will will not notice because they'll say, well, the other ones are are just excuses. So this one being on the list of excuses makes sense. But this happens constantly throughout this book yeah. where I go... One of these things is not like the other, but you're trying to spoon feed it to me like it is. And I'm fucking on to you. I'm on to you. Um, we get into immigration because why not? <laughs> There's a lot of model minority
0: stuff. Like, what what have we learned? Um, stop your bitching. Stop your bitching. Pay off all of your debt because it's evil. We, we don't. They, they don't tell you how. They just say gazelle-like intensity and then just a bunch of like, stop whining, stop bitching. Mm -hmm. I've learned nothing. I don't know. I've learned nothing. Yeah. Uh, He talks about the difference
1: between legal immigrants. (laughs) Um, He mentions that people that got to be millionaires were not doctors or lawyers, but teachers and police officers. And I wrote, what is the motivation behind telling the reader this? Because these are professions held by good ethical stock of people, Christian, white, non-Jewish. (laughs) <laughs> Which leads into non-American, right? I mean, that's the, that's the small, subtle thing. And then that leads into his discussion of non-Americans, where he says, Another big distinction is the undeniable financial success legal immigrants have as compared to native-born Americans. For instance, 40% of Fortune 500 companies were founded by immigrants or children of immigrants. And then I wrote, they have belief where Americans don't. Fine. Let's not take into account that these people were raised in countries that maybe had different circumstances. Let's not take into account that there's this whole America is the land of opportunity, the way that these children are pushed in school and academically uh, in a way that other people aren't. You know, I think that the stakes, the stakes are higher. They if they fail, they, they really fail. He also talks about Your situation is your fault. He says, right now, your situation reflects your desires and choices. If you're stuck, you have what you want. I'm Mm -hmm. tired. I want to nap. I know. Okay. At a certain point, I do write, I am tired in my (laughs) notes. All right. Here, you talked about this a little bit. Here's another straw man argument. He says that radio executives look down on him for, and I wrote, dot, 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 being from Tennessee, and then this is what I wrote. White people love to use being a hillbilly, quote-unquote, to relate to other systemic barriers. White trash. He wrote, All of us have had bad things done to us, said about us, happen to us. Everyone has an ism or stereotype that they bust through. Everyone has some unfair advantage standing in their way. Bill Gates is smarter than me. Steve Jobs knows more about computers than me. George Clooney is prettier than me. So what? And I wrote, He is couching economic privilege by hiding it behind someone being
0: better looking, which is not comparable. Also, George Clooney is better looking than you. Dave Ramsey, I will say (laughs) that to you. Of course. I'm, uh, yes. He wants to seem like he, uh, he understands barriers. Yes. We see this so often. Again, it's like, I'm just like you. And like, I've had my own struggles and that's my way I'm going to relate to you. Because whether we like it or not, the world revolves around how we brand ourselves and the stories we tell. Yeah. Right. So if you are a rich person, it's a lot easier to seem relatable if you're like, I came from nothing and I built this business in a garage and I dropped out of the university and I made this big grid. Okay. But do you? (laughs) It's a lot easier for us to root for somebody who seemingly came from nothing.
1: He almost understands class, which happens again. So close. Uh, Later. Almost so close. Okay. So I wrote here, he has a fundamental misunderstanding of social justice work. And then this is the quote. However, some people spend so much time focusing on the big barriers and problems of our culture that they become convinced regular folks cannot overcome their barriers, so they peddle hopelessness. Selling hopelessness to move a social agenda is evil because it robs regular folks of their belief that they can win. And then I wrote, the hope of social justice work is in change for everyone. The hope is in protesting and unionizing. The hope is in making the world safe and equitable for everyone. This is a singular focus on self. This also protects Ramsey. So what he does is he builds arguments that look like empowerment, but are actually designed to keep people from criticizing or thinking poorly of the rich.
0: I should write a second book. (laughs) Do it. You're writing it right now. (laughs) right now right now and it's great and I'll buy it again all of this is true is it's like we have to do our best to overcome these things but there's no acknowledgement of like the thing itself or what we can do to change it yeah overcome the ism and I'm like would you like me to single-handedly overcome sexism would you like me to yeah. single-handedly do that how do you suppose I do that the
1: the overcome see, and he assumes that everyone b- uh, defines win the same way the win for me would be uh, helping a business unionize helping workers right. unionized the the win would not be what he believes Employing the winning is that's what
0: right
1: right he thinks that that if you try to push a social agenda you're causing yourself to lose and that's such a cynical and sad way of looking at yeah. things he says if you can believe that what happens in your house is more important for your quality of life over the next several decades than what happens in the white house or your neighbor's house or your enemy's house for that matter you can bust through the hopelessness and the barriers and embrace belief once and for all and i wrote Straw man, once again, couching politics as the same as jealousy. The White House is not the same as your neighbor's house or your enemy's house, but he sneaks that in there in order to hide a
0: political statement under something about uh, commonplace jealousy. Again, such a place of privilege to not have to worry what's going on in the White House and how it affects you.
1: (laughs) He's like, don't they're unrelated. It's like, it's like, be concerned. Don't be concerned about what's happening to your neighbor's dog. Be concerned about the seagull on the beach. They're not related. (laughs) What are you talking about? He says, believing that there's still a chance, still an opportunity, still an abundance available for you will keep you from a victim mentality, from paralysis and resignation, from envy and jealousy, from greed and entitlement. None of those things. Okay, so then I wrote. What if the person took not being a victim and instead decided to work for social justice and social change? What if they stood up and said, abundance is a lie because scarcity is real, social programs aren't entitlement, and criticizing the rich is not envy? What then, Dave Ramsey?
0: We have to talk, too, about the whole section called Equal is Not Fair. Do you remember this one? Oh, buddy. Oh, yeah. What page is that on? 91. I flagged it. Great cuz I wrote read directly. Also, he invokes Guy Fieri, don't you dare <laughs> fucking bring my king Guy Fieri to your trash party. Leave him out of it. He is my my surrogate father. He is the love of my life. He is I love Guy Fieri. And if you don't you dare fucking evoke the name of my one true lord and savior guy Fietti in your you book you keep saying his name with such italian flair oh well it's not fieri it is pronounced Fietti with a d and that's a peeve of mine italians do care they
2: um,
1: do
0: they do they do okay
1: So here's what happened. We're on chapter eight. We're going to skip ahead. We'll go back. Dave Ramsey got out of bankruptcy by following biblical principles and also God blessed him. (coughs) Then God smiled upon him when he bought a Jaguar. Uh, And then he says, you're just a manager of what God owns. And yes, you have the right to enjoy the blessings and benefits of the wealth he entrusts to you. Um, Fine, whatever. Did God print the money? He owns it? I don't know. Then he says, we're surrounded by loud voices in our culture today who constantly beat the drum that wealth is bad. I've never heard those people. Who are they? (laughs) Uh, Those people are not very loud. He would put you and I in that category, right? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Well, that's going to fuck up his whole thing about how Jews are brilliant. So anyway. Okay. So he says, I listened to their arguments. I've noticed they're never based in fact. Okay. So, um, okay. So I'm just going to read this. (sighs) Okay. Well, here's a fact for you. Unequal is more fair than equal. Or to put it another way, equal is unfair. Why? Because effort is not equal. Talent is not equal. Intelligence is not equal. Here's a different kind of example. If one college student goofs off in class, doesn't do his homework, and makes an F on the test, should he get an A in the class, just like the student who pays attention, turns in his homework, and aces the test? Of course not. That would be unfair. There was a different level of effort and a different level of intelligence. The results should not be equal. The same goes for wealth. It would be unfair if we all had equal income or wealth. That's because we don't all bring the same level of economic service to the marketplace. That's not the same thing as your value as a human being. You have great value as a human being when you all have equal value before God. But don't confuse your value... As a human, with the value you bring to the marketplace Your pay is not a reflection of your value as a person And it shouldn't be Your pay is a reflection of the service you bring to the marketplace And that's what generates wealth The restaurant owner who runs his business well Serves the marketplace in a larger capacity Than the host or cook or dishwasher who works there So the owner's income is higher If he opens more restaurants, hires more employees And serves the marketplace at an even greater capacity His income should reflect that And then he talks about wealth redistribution He says, everyone's a philosopher Until they start writing the checks, right? Sounds like like those good-hearted young folks turned into some old greedy rich people doesn't it i wrote what the fuck jesus he also talks about guy fieri and he says he's a better tv host than me that's why he gets paid 80 million dollars
0: and i said why does that have value again to your point what the the argument of like oh the restaurant owner should make more has nothing to do with the previous statement nothing to do also
1: the character of the college student who does worse if he has some sort of, I don't know, systemic barrier, death in the family, disability, he does get assurances, he does get extra time, he does
0: get extra credit. Like he's trying to make an equity-based argument. He just doesn't know it. He's so close. He's so close. He's so close, but yet doesn't just doesn't get there. This is where he's mad at me in particular. <laughs> uh, The
1: gap between the rich and the poor Is getting wider And that's not right They'll say Or the system is rigged In favor of the rich And big business It's unfair There's a lot of emotion In what they're saying But very little fact And that's not truly shocking After all they hear The same message as I do That greedy rich people Are what's wrong with the world And we all know That's not based in fact What's really happening Is that those folks Are operating with a scarcity mindset A scarcity mindset Says there's only so much wealth To go around And because I have More than you do I've taken away Your opportunity to have more They're picturing it like a pie And they're fighting To get what's left After the greedy rich people Have taken a huge piece for themselves they believe that for the world to be fair wealth and income must be equal uh resources are finite my
0: my dude scarcity mindsets pitting people against each other that 100% happens yes. right we've been told as women if you're a person of color if you're also a, of a minority there's one seat mm-hmm. at the table right so we fight each other that's how the patriarchy wins right as we fight each other mm-hmm. for that one seat at the table as opposed to mm-hmm. building another table that is accurate mm-hmm. right but again he couches that he like equates that to like, oh, but the, we don't have a problem with filthy rich people. They're not the problem. Also, income and wealth are two different things. Him talking about income with regards to
1: like, oh, the, the of course the chef should not get paid the same as the owner of the restaurant. But then
0: he fails to address wealth. He's like, income, he, he puts wealth with income to yeah. hide it. It's, again, not about the stack of government-issued paper. It's about what you do with it. And if you are... The Zuckerberg Bezos out here that's ruining democracy, you need to be held accountable for that. Versus, yeah. I don't know if we can pick, I don't like, there's some billionaires that I think can stay. I'll keep Rihanna. I will keep Rihanna and like oh, Sarah yeah. Blakely. You know, so it's like those those a cup of maybe Oprah. Oprah can stay, right? Like there's like three billionaires that I'm like they can stay, right? Because it's yeah. about, again what you do with the money, what you do with your success. Again, he's saying if you're not rich, you didn't work hard enough and you blamed other people for your problems. And it's like mm-hmm. there's no nuance to that statement. There's no like hey no. Maybe the problems that I'm facing have nothing actually to do with me. Also, I know that there's some things I can control. But there's yeah. there's no acknowledgement that actually these problems are again systemic and way beyond us as individuals and what we indiv- yeah. individually can control.
1: He almost understands class at the end of chapter five where he says science suggests you emulate those around you. Your income will be influenced by the incomes represented in your social network. Again, class, he means class. I feel pressured to keep up with my friends and family when it comes to money, implies economic class. Uh, he talks about body positivity and he says, your perception of acceptable body size and behavior will adjust accordingly if the circles of friends around you are obese. And I, he he uses that as a bad example. And I am like, this exactly proves uh, what I say all the time, which is it turns out representation matters. <laughs>
0: We haven't even gotten to the paragraph of, um, the whole thing is I want you to get a good Bible. He says, begin to learn what God's love letter says to us. It'll change your life. Also find a good church. You're not going to find a perfect one. There are people in them. Oh, a joke. Oh, oh, so funny. But find one where the worship style and preaching style fits your style. That's great. Okay. Good advice. But again, assumes one, you are Christian. Two, you go to church. Three, like, yeah, <clears throat> find one where yeah. you can ask questions and learn. Oh, yes, because we all know that Christian organizations love when you ask critical questions. <laughs> <laughs> they love it. <laughs> ten out of ten. Follow all, religions do you, all religions love it. Find one where you don't feel like the people are looking down on you. Mm. Mm-hmm. And ask them to teach you about baptism. And then as you learn and grow, ask them To baptize you. Q, baptize me from the Book of Mormon.
1: (laughs) I'm like, oh my God. Wow. Yeah. I'll jump ahead to one thing, which is uh, I did not expect to just go so hard left into the Jews on page 94. Oh yeah, we
0: got to talk about Uh, that. We can't
1: not talk about that. I was... I gasped. He jumps into a rabbi who's a friend of his, and he says, Why would an evangelical Christian like me be interested in what Jewish people believe about wealth? And then he says, Jewish Just people are a minority thinker? in America consistently have a disproportionate amount of wealth. Um... First and foremost is that Jewish tradition views a person's quest for profit and wealth to be inherently moral. Inherently moral is the opposite of evil. Then he talks about the Havdalah ceremony, which I grew up incredibly Jewish, and I... Slap Havdalah out of your goddamn mouth. No. I
0: know how you feel about that is how I feel about Guy Fieri. <laughs> <laughs> You're like Jewish tradition, and I'm like Food Network star.
1: <laughs> I... Cannot believe that we have gotten into the Jews love money so fast. I I really, I really gasped out loud. This is a book that came out this This year, last year, this year, twenty twenty one. and somebody let it go to print. Somebody (laughs) said, I guess his own company prints No, because he prints his own
0: books. It's his own publishing company. We haven't even talked about that. Because why go to HarperCollins or Penguin Random House when you can just publish your own book, which honestly, girl boss, hashtag girl boss. You get, (laughs) you fucking get that publishing. You set up a publishing company where you don't have to pay royalties to somebody else. Like you do it. You do it, girl. We, I've been joking that
1: with my my friend who's a farmer, who's a guy who's a farmer. I've been saying that he's a hashtag boy boss. It's he owns great. a farm. Well, it's good because there aren't enough. There's hasn't been a huge resurgence of anti-Semitism. So I'm glad we're still here. Anyway, a quick note from Chapter 7. He does uh, bring up the COVID no one wants to work anymore handouts oh. bullshit. He understands, he misunderstands social services and uh, only wants people to give to their churches. Um, If you do have this book or you see it somewhere and you want to absolutely lose your mind, page 79 to 82 is some of the worst shit I've ever seen. I wrote worst shit in this book. There's also a part where he talks about making your kids work for money, doing fast food or mowing lawns. And I wrote, oh, fast food and mowing lawns are just stepping stones for these type of people. Those are not seen as jobs. No, no. Which is where we're going to get into Miguel. Miguel is a young man who works at the country club. He like... Does his job really, really well, I guess. And Dave Ramsey talks about how he works really hard and talks about how all, you know, all these
0: millionaires that he knows are extremely generous. Oh, also the quote, normally I feel like a wiener in a steakhouse in a place like this. Tattoo that on my forehead. He's folksy. Yeah, every every man. But a, a wiener in a steakhouse. Is that a title of a porno or is that a quote from a Dave Ramsey book? You tell me. So he gets to know Miguel, who's a
1: golf attendant, who smile on his face because he's a little servant boy who likes to smile. He couldn't wait to serve me. He told me he listens to me on the radio and we would be honored to care for me during my day with him. Miguel is always like that, smiling, caring, serving. He takes pride in his work. Miguel and I snapped a picture together and I was honored to do it. After Miguel leaves, one of my new friends tells us Miguel is about to graduate with his master's degree in engineering. I'm loving him more every minute, but that's not all. My new friend shares with our group that Steve, a friend of my friend that I never got to meet, is paying Miguel's tuition. None of the other guys in the group had any idea he was paying for Miguel's schooling. We all smile because we understand. Steve didn't do it to show off or win some generosity award. First generation millionaires, baby steps millionaires, are some of the most generous people you'll ever meet. But you'll never know this side of heaven just how generous they are because they don't do it for the attention. Before I left, I talked to Miguel again. He trotted out to save me from the hassle of having to carry my own bag to my car. I told you, Miguel's a prize. I shared with him that I'd learned he was getting his master's in engineering and if it's possible, he lit up even more and I think I saw his chest stick out a little as he said, I came to this country with nothing in my backpack but dreams. Someday I will belong to a club like this. I have no doubt Miguel will do exactly that. And when he does, he will be compelled by the unwritten playbook of generosity like his friend Steve and he will pay it forward to give someone else like him a shot. I said, you naive fuck because Mm -mm. he wants to choose who deserves his charity. He says evil doesn't pay for people's groceries or gift people college tuition or donate used cars. But evil does give to only those who follow yours and your God's principles and that's it. What if it wasn't on individuals to do things like pay for each other's groceries? What if it wasn't just the people that you, Dave Ramsey, deem
0: worthy? What about that? And what if you didn't also like applaud those people and say like basically make them the point of the story of like, oh, he was the secret benefactor and he does it because he's really nice and that's what everyday Dave Ramsey baby step millionaires do for the people around us. It is such a dichotomy and calling the kettle black when he says things like this directly compared to the no one wants to work, everybody wants a handout, student loan forgiveness is bullshit. Like it's mm-hmm. such, just so obviously a contradiction, but he fails to realize it. Yes. I want to just dive into the survey itself. Cool data. I'd, but again, <laughs> like, Data from a particular source yeah. of people, yeah. who, I, again, self-reported, I guess. Self-reported. And
1: self-reported in hindsight. And I wrote, rich people tend not to brag on their advantages or paint themselves as undeserving. They have an inflated sense of the hardness of their jobs and lack of honesty about the ways they exploit others. That's me. I wrote that. Um, the average person that he interviews is 63 years old. And it, Ramsey concludes that the millionaires are that old because they have more time to make money And they don't have student debt. Now, I'm, say, I'm thinking, could it be that it's not time, but rather generational problems? And he says, if they're diligent over time, the young generation can become millionaires too. But to me, this is not true because there have been different experiences, different economies of these generations. Studying their attitudes this way is essentially useless. Rich is a different like uh, stratosphere for every generation. And then he says, uh, likewise, the millionaires did not place as much value on inheritance while the general population felt it was very important. Non-millionaires also indicated luck was relatively important, while the millionaires ranked it lower on the list. In general, the responses indicate that millionaires tend to focus more on elements within an individual's control, while non-millionaires believe financial independence depends on elements outside of an individual's control. And then I wrote, actually kill yourself. <laughs> There's No. No context for politics or world events. Uh, He says, along with this apparent skepticism about what millionaires did to build their wealth, younger generations demonstrated a more negative attitude towards millionaires in general. The study comes to the conclusion that we are more cynical and that older generations have more experience in building wealth and have discovered that these beliefs are not necessarily accurate. The idea that as you get older, you become more conservative. I wonder why we're cynical. I wonder. (laughs) I don't think it has to do with generation. I think it has to do... With
0: like crisis, after, th- the crisis fact that this, after crisis,
1: the fact that this study is a- of boomers because those are the only long-term subjects you can study. It is too early for this study to be of anyone but boomers. So to act like this is an accurate picture of millionaires or of the ways in which younger people could achieve this is like simply scientifically incorrect.
0: Also, they're Dave also, Ramsey followers. I- they're already going to believe a certain thing. Hopefully, he's actually helped some of them. So. The data is going to skew towards people having more money, hopefully in theory, because I guess his thing works or they're going to prove his thing works. This is from a sample size of people that have already been cut in a very uh, distinct fashion. For my thing, I want to just end on and then I'll get your closing thoughts
1: (laughs) is that I thought about this and I was like, okay, so... All of this research is done. He writes this whole book, but I realize that he's coming at the research from the place of believing the millionaires and not believing the general population about their experiences. Yep. So the people who actually need your help are telling you what they believe and what they need, and you are saying no from a gilded tower while you listen to other people in the tower. So that's actually not the purpose of you. You've taken the data you collected and used it um, in a purpose that is for a purpose that is actually opposite of what it should be used for, and that's. Science. Yeah. Um, tell me your whole rant. Tell me your all
0: your closing thoughts. This is a New York Times bestseller. Buy bad with money and financial feminist instead for yourself Woo! and for your loved ones. Uh, um <laughs> <laughs> Two, there are other voices in personal finance that give just as good, if not better advice, who acknowledge all of the things that need to be acknowledged. And I hear from a lot of people, they go, well, Dave Ramsey helped me get out of debt or like Dave Ramsey's plan works and I don't need to care about his politics or whatever. It's like who you give your money to matters, who you give your Mm -hmm. attention to matters and the way people make you feel matters. Mm-hmm. So if you are seeking advice from someone who does not share your values, who does not work to understand you, even if they don't share the the political leanings that you do, if they don't work to understand you or systemic issues or to think critically, they are not deserving of your time attention energy money.
1: I agree. Also, the the advice is bad and the science is incorrect and that I cannot abide. <laughs> no. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm glad we are both baby step millionaires now. We did it. Um, where can people find you and more about you and also I apologize I'm
0: yeah this is hard enough for me as a cisgendered straight white woman I imagine for you it's so much bullshit um you can find me at herfirst100k.com H-E-R-F-I-R-S-T 100 kcom herfirst com. k or at herfirst100k on the socials um our book and podcast is called Financial Feminist and yep be critical of who you give your money and support to so the people out there <sighs> thank you so much thank you and um I didn't realize what that part of this was do? gonna be you buying me a book. <laughs> I would like to pick <laughs> the book next time, please.
1: It's a Bible, Tori, or it's nothing. It's a,
0: yeah, where did you could have bought me a Bible and you bought me this instead? I want a Bible, I one of many translations next time. Thank you. <laughs> If you have thoughts on this,
1: and I'm sure that you will, you can email us at gabbyisbadwithmoney at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail at 844-474-4040. You can also leave me a voice memo via email if you prefer. We are on Discord, TikTok, Patreon, and Instagram. Uh, You can find me at Gabby Road on Instagram. You can find me on TikTok at at dabbygun. I mean, leave a five-star Apple review and I will read it on the show. We do mailbags every Friday, so check those out. And and I am just delighted to read whatever you have to think about this episode. Thank you so much to Tori for being my guest. And don't forget to listen to the show the day it drops so we can get on the charts and spread the word. Also, send it to your friends. Show it to your friends. I mean, I understand that sending someone a podcast called Bad With Money could be a backhanded compliment, but just do it. It'll help them. Okay, love you. Bye. Done.